Coming up, our weekly episode of Green Tagged Theme Park and Dirty. On Green Tagged, Scott Swenson and I break down the top theme park news from each week and why it matters to you. Welcome to the show. I'm Philip. On the Haunted Trashion Network show, we bring Halloween to you every weekday. We have news on location coverage and interviews from experiences around the world. Whether you're a Halloween enthusiast or professional, each episode helps you celebrate the best holiday. If you're new to the show, or if you want to tell your friends about it, our podcast website has categories and a handy search function to help you sort through our very large episode catalog. Visit haunt.news or simply search for us in your Spotify app to get started. Okay, here's this week's episode of Green Tagged Theme Park in 30 from Scott Swenson and I. From our studios, this time in Orlando and Tampa, both in Florida, this is Green Tagged Theme Park in 30. I'm Philip, and I'm joined by my co-host, Scott Swenson of Scott Swenson Career Development. And I got to say, Philip, you are wearing a very snazzy shirt. You're wearing a very Florida shirt right now. Uh, for those of you who can't see it, it is actually skeletons riding surfboards. Mm-hmm. Only Philip. Or mm-hmm. me. I suppose, but uh, it, it looks great on you, and I wanted to compliment you because I'm usually the one who has the ridiculous shirts on, but nope, you win this week. Yes, I brought my game to Florida for our, my visit here. There you go. There you go. Okay, well, let's start off with our first story. There's a new report out, and it's the must-know travel industry trends for the 2020 season. Uh, sorry, I just... This title was so uh, clickbaity when I saw this, and I I thought that it was going to be one of those like a, uh, I don't know, you know, like the USA Today lists of like top rides or you know whatever. Um, it was actually surprisingly useful <laughs> of a report. So we so much it, less so, clickbaity than it originally imp- appeared, but yeah, uh, I was like, wow, okay, that copywriter, um, okay. Uh, but basically, they sur- this was this is from a ticketing company, um, and they surveyed. 2,000 people across the U.S. between the ages of 18 and 65 and who, who travel for, for different reasons. And it's it's a like a 22-page report, but I, I kind of broke down the stuff I thought was most important for discussion today. And uh, I'll go through some of these points, and then we can talk about it. So 26% report that they have always extended a business trip to take advantage of some leisure time. And on average, when they do that, they visit nearly three attractions per business trip, which is huge. How much do they spend on those attractions? They spend between forty and fifty-nine dollars, and they spend a little bit more for theme parks, sixty to eighty dollars, basically. And then a little bit about when they go. Fifty-eight percent reveal that they travel while working remotely, which is we talked about that. We're going to talk about it more. Uh, and then when when they are traveling for work or when they're extending the trip or in any of these situations, they prefer to go in the morning to the attractions, which I thought would be the opposite. And then 44% have time constraints and they book last minute, which makes sense because if you're working, you're not sure if you're going to be able to go to something when you finish work or not, you know, then um, they have time constraints. 43% try to get reimbursed for that. So they're looking for something that kind of ties in with their work a little bit. Uh, 35% do little research. They just kind of realize they have an evening free basically and then stumble into the nearby museum you know and then 31 percent are actually nervous about going alone to whatever they're going to so this is the first chunk of of the report and i thought it was fascinating because i think we we talked about this in terms of like the new normal and like the airbnb stuff and where people would end up after the pandemic and this whole thing so what do you think scott well, it's funny because as somebody who travels quite a bit for business, um, first of all, I want to know how they're extending 
their trips because I'm usually going from one place then I go home, change my luggage, and go off to the next. But uh, so I, I'm not necessarily in the norm when it comes to uh, extending, per se, a business trip. I will say, though, the rest of it is pretty spot on. Um, I, you know, I, although I prefer to visit attractions in the morning, I'm actually usually working at attractions in the morning, and my time usually happens in the afternoon. So that's, I think that's just unique to what I do. Um, but you know, the, the idea of, of booking last minute, completely understand that. Um, in fact, nine times out of 10, I'll walk in in the morning, have a meeting with somebody and then say, okay, so we're not doing anything this afternoon. My flight doesn't leave until such and such a time. What can I go check out? And I get, you know, some local recommendations and then book at the last minute. So totally understand that. Um, as far as getting reimbursed, I very rarely, actually almost never ask my client unless they've asked me to go check something out. However, in my industry, it is considered research. So quite often, if I'm going to another attraction, it's not reimbursed, but it is a write-off. So so I try to look for things like that that are somehow related to a project that I'm either working on or a client that I actually have so that I can justify that as a, as a, as a write-off at the end of the year. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't do a ton of research. Um, I will say that it's the low-hanging fruit that, that I approach. Although I will also say that when I, when I, when I say low-hanging fruit, it's low-hanging fruit based on the what I'm told by the people around me. You know, um, for example, when I was in when I was in Philadelphia, and and I had three people say, "Have you been to the Mütter Museum?" Knowing that I have a very dark side when it comes to Halloween, and the Mütter Museum is a museum of of um, historic medical oddities. Yeah, it's not for everybody. It is weird as all get out, but it's really cool and really well done. So. Um, so that was kind of the thing. It's like, oh, well, I got to find out more on the Mütter Museum. And I found out its location. That was pretty much the research that I did. Um, I even had a panic moment as, as I was walking up to it. Like, is it open? I probably should have researched their hours as well. So, um, and then the, the, as far as nervous about going alone, I'm fine. I actually prefer to go alone because that way I don't have to, to do what anybody else wants to do. I can take things at my own pace and I can focus on the things I want to focus on and bypass the things that aren't, of, mm. aren't necessarily of interest to me. But again, I'm not afraid of being alone pretty much any time because I travel alone most of the time. So, so that's kind of how it fits in with my world. I, but I do, I totally understand this and I'm really glad to see that there is now some documentation on this. What this says to me is for the industry is there, you can probably start to cater to these business yeah. travelers. Um, exactly. You can probably exactly. find ways to maybe do, you know, everybody thinks about uh, doing discounts that are, are later in the day. You might want to get with the local hotel concierge and try to do business traveler morning discounts mm -hmm. so that um, you can give them, and it doesn't even necessarily have to be something you advertise. Maybe it's something that only the concierge knows about and they will say, you know, if XYZ Zoo or XYZ theme park if you want to check that out, if you go, if you go, if you're there with it, if you arrive within the first hour, I can give you a coupon for 25% off and just yep. target that to your business traveler, you know, target that through the hotels. Yeah. I love that idea. That's exactly what I was thinking. I was also thinking in my own lens too. I actually, I don't like to go alone. Actually, I'm the opposite of Scott. I don't really like to go alone. I, it makes me feel awkward in particular times, especially if it's a, if it's a place that uh, kind of caters to families. Like I'm obviously a Disney nerd. And so I always feel like weird. I'm like, Oh, here I am like wandering around Disney, like by myself, uh, ooh, like parents and children. And I'm always the guy that's like, Oh, these yeah, children are so annoying. I will say it was a little creepy. It was a little creepy. It was a little creepy. The last time I went to the children's museum, I, I'm mm -hmm. just saying, cause I went by myself. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it's like, yeah, 
Hi, I'm here for the children's museum. <laughs> yeah, it, it gets a little, it's like, eh. but uh, so, so I prefer to go like for reasons, but I, I love this, uh, this idea of thinking about how can we capture these travelers? Because I was thinking that just earlier this week where I was thinking I wanted to go see an exhibit at a museum, but I could only go like, you know, basically after work or before work. So I only had like half a day and they only had one ticket option, which was, you know, a full day ticket option. And I'm like, well, yeah, but what if I want to show up, you know, at five and it closes at six, do I still want to pay the full price for that last hour? Or like, can't I, it's like, it's like, you know, I'm like, I only need to go in and see this one thing. That's what I kind of want to do. And I think that's what this report is saying is that there's, um, if you're in town for a thing and you're staying at the hotel nearby or like you're across the street from museum and you might want to jump over there after work for something to do, then think about how you can cater to the people that are in those situations. And there's apparently a lot of them. And there's also a lot of people that are traveling while also working. So they'll be working on their computers, you know, in their, in their Airbnbs in the day, but then they'll have something to do uh, or the flip side of that. So the next uh, phase of this has to do with upsells that I thought was the most interesting. And uh, I don't know, surprise, surprise, but something we've been talking about is most of the things that people are willing to pay for involve interactions with other people that are kind of velvet rope situations. So 30% were interested in interactions with animals, those extra touches, the subsells with animals. 27% are interested in seasonal activations or seasonal, seasonal specials, that kind of stuff. 25% um, are interested in behind the scenes tours. And then it, it plops down to only 21% being interested in food and beverage and 21% being interested in skipping the line. And what, what I'm seeing behind that is that it's still, it's like the bare minimum, the lowest hanging fruit is for you to have FMB and skip the line and those type of things because they don't really involve a lot of extra work in terms of you, you don't have to design special programming for that. You just, you add a ticket option that skips the queue and you train your staff and you're good. And for food and beverage, you should already be doing it anyway. So it's not really too much of an extra lift, you know, food and beverage and merch and all that. But if you really want to entice more people, then it's about that developing an exclusive program. So developing the behind the scenes tour, developing a interaction with animals or a special interaction or a behind the scenes thing or something like those are all require a little bit extra work, but there's people that are more interested in them rather than the lower hanging fruit. So I think the takeaway is if you don't have the lowest hanging fruit, you need to do it right now. And then you should, if you don't have something that's a little bit extra to add on, you should also consider that. And if you are looking for something that's a little bit extra to add on, these things all fall into one of two categories. They're either time savers or they are immersive things you they guests can't do without the upcharge, without the additional, um, velvet rope access. So I, I think it's important to recognize that when you are developing new and unique things for your own attraction. Uh, I agree with Philip 100%. Uh, skip the line. That is printing money. You know, mm -hmm. uh, back in back in the day when I was working in theme park, more of an more in an operational sense, um, we would never quote unquote, sell out of tours, because a tour, uh, one person on a tour pays for the labor for someone to run that tour, one person. So, uh, gosh, you got a group of 10. Yeah. We're always going to find somebody who can make that tour work. Uh, it is, there are some operational challenges. Yes, but it is, it is something that has very little investment 
and has and all of these things, you know, it, it, with the exception of seasonal activation, which actually does require some planning and, and forethought, um, animal interactions, working with so many zoos, this is good for the animals too. It gives them uh, more, um, it gives them more uh, activation and and like for example, there are there are feeding opportunities, there are uh, tactile opportunities, there are training opportunities. It gives them something to 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 do. Um, I've been doing a lot of work with dolphins recently, for example. So guest interaction with dolphins just keeps the dolphins interested. So it's a win-win. You make yeah. money off of reinforcing your, your dolphin population. Yeah. yeah. And the final chunk that I thought was interesting from this report, again, we're trying to condense 22 pages here into <laughs> like a, a few minutes, but uh, the final chunk I thought was interesting was really the marketing side. Where do people learn about your attraction? And I'll go through them, but basically it's, it's kind of even in the, in the, the 30, 32 to 34%. 34% is search, 33% is travel blogs, 32% is ticket booking sites, and 32% is social media, specifically Instagram. So on its surface, you may think, oh yeah, that makes sense. But let me just, let me just put this in perspective. Think maybe like 10 years ago, how, how it has changed since then. Like the fact that now there's, there's four main areas that are pretty evenly divided and it is like search and travel blogs and like booking sites. And then that social media is just as important as search ranking and travel blogs and travel blogs, including in travel blogs, they include everything. Like they include national geographic, the travel channel as well as the timeout and those, that's all in that one section. So their influence has shrunk to being just on the level of social media. And I think we've, we've talked about that before, but those little things about like, you know, when you have your media night, how important is it to invite, you know, a TikTok influencer or an Instagram influencer out to make a 60 second overview of your attraction. Oh, turns out it's, it's just as important as you trying to get on time out. <laughs> like it turns out surprise, surprise. Well, and the two things that I noticed from this particular, from, from this, this particular data is of all of the top four things, none of them are print media. Yep. And none of them are uh, yep. purchased television advertising. So I find that very interesting, number one, and that's a huge change from the way it was when I first started in the industry. So that's that's a huge shift. And, you know, I know how much it costs to do TV media. And for some of the larger parks or larger attractions, you still have to just from a standpoint of presence. But it does not translate nearly as well, certainly with these people who travel for business or uh, business pleasure hybrid. Um, it doesn't it doesn't translate. It doesn't translate into dollars in your pocket. The other thing that I think is very interesting is if you look at the these four topics, um, if you if you break it down, you're at about 130 percent. So it's yeah. obvious that people get information from multiple sources. So you know, um, a search engine and and then it's reinforced on a ticketing site or social Correct. media, and then it's reinforced in a travel blog. So what it suggests to me, and and again, I'm just trying to read through the the mire of the data, but what it suggests to me is you need to make certain that you appear in multiple places so that that repetition reinforces, oh, I heard about this uh, on such and such. Let me search it. And it comes up at the top of your search engine. So it's, I, I think it's important to have that, that sense of repetition of here they say it's good and here they say it's good and here they say it's good. I mean, 
if you're like me, I don't I don't even buy, make large purchases without finding at least three different places that have good reviews. So right. the same is true with uh, with attractions. And so don't to reinforce what Philip was saying, don't underestimate the power of that social media influencer. Do not underestimate it because that may be the first that may be the gateway to the search engine, which you're you know obviously going to have to invest more time and money into, um, that may then lead to the the ticket booking site, which obviously is going to take a little bit more of investment. But that first touch point may be that social media person, yeah. and all of these things seem to work together. I mean, I'm certainly not an expert when it comes to um, online media algorithms, but all of these things I believe reinforce one another. And Philip, you're more of an expert in this area than I am, so I'm sure you can either tell me I'm completely wrong. Or, or reinforce this. But it seems to me that the more, the more anything gets attention on the internet, the more it rises to the surface. I don't know. Yeah. I, I would say back in my day, when I started in marketing, right, uh, it was you needed to, the guests needed to come across your stuff like about seven times. And mm -hmm. the, 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 the little... Ah, oh, gosh, it's like marketing is one of those fields where everyone wants to make it seem like it's really complicated, but actually it's really simple. <laughs> and it's really just like uh, the guests that are coming to your trash in, what do they pay attention to? And are you there wherever they're paying attention? That's that's basically it. And then you just think about how many times you have to tell even your significant other or your friends or your family something. It's really more than once. <laughs> and so that that's it. You just take those two together and you're like, okay. And so back in my day, right, it was seven times and now it's 14 because of the amount of information that comes across here so 14 touch points before they will really you know buy a ticket unless like they said in this report they're a business traveler who's really trying to make a decision very very fast and so at that point it's really just like scott said probably just a quick search on google or on maps or on youtube or on instagram you know that go to any of those places and use them as search engines that just say something in this area to see and then they'll pull up content for it but uh, it, the, the proliferation definitely proliferated a lot more than it has. And the, the, the nasty little thing I think that a lot of attractions get wrong is when they survey people, generally people only remember like the last place that they've heard about your attraction. So <laughs> it's like, it's like a, that's why it's hard to say like these people didn't mention billboards and all that. But it might have just been that when they landed at the airport, they saw, you know, a billboard or an ad for this museum and it kind of got filed in the back of their brain because they weren't at that point, they weren't ready to receive the message because they they weren't they were there for work. But then flash forward two days and they have an extra afternoon and they do a search and that museum came comes up in search as the top three museums. Well, then then they remember they saw a sign for it in the airport and they're like, Oh, this place. But then if you ask them on the survey, they'll say, I Googled it. <laughs> right. That's how, that's really more how these things work. So like your data is not always accurate with that just because of the way people remember things. Well, and I think it's also important to recognize that I think, and, and this is, this is true with me. If I had taken this survey, um, what I would have said in the survey was the thing that actually turned that, that actually tripped me into buying a ticket. So you're right, Philip, it's the last thing, because obviously you're, that's yep. what's going to make you go ahead and say, okay, I'll do it. Um, the other thing that I want people to keep in mind, too, is I will very rarely, if I'm going to do just a blind search of what am I going to do this afternoon, I will rarely say what museums are nearby. Instead, yep. I will search what do I need to do in yep. select the city. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and it's fascinating what comes up because they're not always the biggest attractions. Um, they're not always, ba- it's not always based on the amount of money spent on the, uh, on the, the buy of, of media. It's based on what people are talking about. So it's, it's interesting. So just be aware of that when you're planning your, your, your search strategy. Yeah. Okay. Well, if you want to read the full report, we're going to put the link to that in our show notes or you can, it's one of those things where you go in and you, you opt into their uh, email list and then you can download the report. So it, it is a little, it's behind a little bit of a, a gate, but that's okay. Um, so let's move on <laughs> finally. Uh, so parks in Shanghai can now reopen after the lifting of the lockdown. And uh, some parks and resorts in Shanghai, China, are planning to reopen to the public after a two-month coronavirus lockdown was lifted the city on Wednesday. Uh, so uh, let's see. Shanghai Disney has yet to announce her opening date, and Universal Beijing uh, is still closed and has not. So kind of not really announcing opening dates yet, as this, at least at the time of this recording that this came out. Um, and I'm just going to add on my own little experience here. You know, our our factory, of course, is was located in the lockdown zone. And our factory is reopening on Monday. I'm just going to say this is something that we should be paying attention to in the attractions industry on any end that you are on it. You know, if if you are an attraction, I'll, I guarantee you something that you're trying to get for your supplies is coming from that area that is locked down. And you may not think it, but it definitely is coming from there. And uh, the lockdown is going to definitely impact, you know, your your new openings or your supply chains and all that kind of stuff. And for us, we're planning to reopen on Monday, but that means that we're we're we basically added eight weeks of lead time to our current orders. <coughs> Sorry, Universal. <coughs> Sorry, who who said that? Um, and then it, it all, so we're adding those those extra lead times, but also we know and we're trying to communicate this to to our clients as well that 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 could change as well it doesn't mean that they're going to stay open you know because they're the, the policy there in china is still there they're trying to to keep the zero covid policy and honestly that is impossible right now in my opinion with with the the strain the, the new the new 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 variant whatever it's called now which is more contagious than the previous ones we've known and then their, their vaccination rates are not as high in in particular areas especially among their elderly there in shanghai so I'm not, we're, we're not certain that this, that this is going to be open even that long. It could shut down at any moment. So we're kind of just telling everybody, we're like, look, this is a, again, we're back where we were like in 2020 in China with this area where it could shut down at any minute. We're unsure. And also to give a little bit more insight, um, remember we talked about the app that they have where you're, you're logging your information, you have your code on it. Well, you, people that are working, so our employees there have to regularly test almost every day to go into the office and they have to submit their test results into the app. And if they get tested positive, then like they're shutting down the whole area and they have to stay home and it's uh, doing this contact tracing thing. I mean, it's a mess. So I'm just saying it's complicated. It's a mess. Just be aware this is going to impact you in some way. I promise. And it kind of goes back to what we said at the very beginning, uh, you know, when we almost when we started doing this podcast, and that is anytime you have the opportunity to establish multiple supply chains, uh, do it, take advantage of it. Um, even if it costs you a little bit more every now and then to keep a vendor uh, going that has a has supply chain from a different location. Now, I will admit, in many cases, a lot of certain types of things only come from from China. Uh, 
So, but it, but if you, anytime you have the opportunity to open yourself up and to continue to maintain uh, multiple parallel supply chains, it will help you in the long run. And it's not something that you can do after you're in trouble. It's because those multiple supply chains will immediately get overwhelmed. But uh, as as you're looking forward, you know, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready. If you stay prepared for a shutdown, you don't have to get ready for when it happens. So uh, continue to explore that, continue to research that. Multiple supply chains will benefit you. And in the long run, will also benefit suppliers so that they don't have this log jam when all of a sudden the things open or they, they lose clients. I mean, for example, if, for example, you decide, you know what, I'm not going to work with you anymore. I'll find somebody else. Well, that's not good for any, uh, any organization either. So yeah. continue to find uh, and, and research and explore multiple ways to get what you need and Obviously, find the one that is most cost-effective for you, delivers the highest quality product, the product that you're looking for, but keep the relationships open with those other ones so that in this uncertain time, you're able to continue to do what you need to do in a timely manner. Well, another piece of the supply chain is the manpower. (laughs) That is also a piece of this. And we're starting to see some stories trickle in I'm sure you've heard probably on the mainstream media this past week about the whole like lifeguard shortage, or at least I heard it and I was like, rolling my eyes a little bit just because uh, as usual, mainstream doesn't cover kind of the nuance uh, in our industry. That's okay. Uh, But we have one story here from uh, Castaway Cove that has been trimming their hours due to shortages. Uh, The the park operator said they've trimmed one hour a day from its schedule throughout the summer to keep staff in a single shift rather than two. The new hours are 11.30 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. Sunday through Friday, uh, and then 10.30 a.m. to 7.30 p.m. on Saturdays. So these are definitely going to start trickling in, and you will uh, see them in other places as well. We've talked about the F&B and all that. So it continues to be important to get your staff in. Um, I'm not sure I agree with the with the one shift thing either, honestly. I mean, we, we've talked about this too, about how like um, doing half half shifts that are more flexible might be a better situation in this. And then to be able to, to bring in your teams or stagger them, if somebody needs to leave early for childcare or whatnot, then you have a more staggered approach. But I don't know. I'm, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not bringing this water well, part. But I think, Philip, I think Philip, you've brought up a good point. And that is you need to be uh, as an employer, you need to be aware of what is best for your employees. You need to be in constant contact. This is something that has just been good advice long before COVID ever, well, we ever knew that it existed. Um, just make sure that that in a, in a situation where uh, staffing is difficult, make sure you are providing what your staff needs, not what you think your staff needs. Mm-hmm. So uh, it, this may be, and that may be what they've done at Castaway Cove. I don't know either. Um they, they may have said, you know, well, if this way we can have, because people don't want to come in and work half a day, they feel like they're getting cheated somehow, their whole day is shot, and they don't get eight hours of pay. Okay, well, that's fine. Uh, but to your point, flexibility is going to allow you, if you are flexible as an employer, the people that you can bring in as employees becomes more flexible as well, and it expands significantly. So if you have somebody who can only work half a day and has childcare issues, great, be open to that as well. That's, I think that's the real takeaway. And that is, you know, recognize what your, your staffing base needs and do everything you can as a company to accommodate that so that you can remain appropriately staffed. Yep. Okay. Well, our next few stories have to deal with a 
brands and, and IPs, um, Feld Entertainment is bringing back their Ringling Brothers and Barnum and & Bailey with performances in late 2023. They're bringing back the live production of The Greatest Show on Earth, debuting in fall 2023, so next fall. Um, this, this got covered quite a bit uh, last week, um, and the article that we're going to link to is the Impact Magazine article. And I think what a lot of people focused on in last week in the, in the coverage was that they are not bringing back animals as part of the show. Um, to me, that wasn't the biggest takeaway. To me, the biggest takeaway, which is what's highlighted here in the Impact Magazine one, is that there's they're basically they're incorporating technology into the show. And what they said in the article is that new technologies and a 360 degree experience will break down the barriers between the performers and attendees. Additionally, each show will incorporate interactive elements that engage the audience, ensuring that every performance is unique. And also, what the what the uh, one of the show designers said in the interview is also that they're going to be looking at incorporating guest generated content as well. So to me, those are the bigger takeaways is that it's like they're taking an older show and they had to close for the pandemic and they're bringing it up to date with current trends, which is a more 360 design and user generated content and not as much reliance on the, I think the old style animal acts is basically, that's how I would phrase it. I would not phrase it like they're, they're dropping animals from it. I would phrase it for the, like they're, they're updating it to the current uh, entertainment trends. What I'm telling all of my clients, guests no longer want things to watch. They want things yes. to do. Mm-hmm. And this is a perfect example of that. This, they are providing the, the audience at the greatest show on earth, things to do as opposed to just things to watch. They want to be involved. And probably our last story here, as we're getting down to time, is the Mattel Adventure Park has announced their uh, next two uh, licenses or areas that they're putting in. Uh, this is a park that's coming out in Arizona, and they're adding Barbie and Masters of the Universe. So the newly announced attractions include Barbie Beach House that features a Barbie flying theater to take riders on a journey from underwater to outer space. Other Barbie-themed experiences are the Dream Closet Experience, which uses state-of-the-art hologram technology to bring Barbie to life, and a Barbie rooftop where guests can enjoy panoramic views from the roof of Barbie's beach house while they sip signature pink beverages. And their Masters of the Universe iconic Castle Grayskull will be transformed into a 4,500-square-foot state-of-the-art laser tag arena that brings the world of Eternia to life and invites players to join an epic battle to regain the power of the universe. What do all these things have in common, Scott? Well, I mean, this is, again, this is all immersive. This is all things to do. And let's face it, if you think back to why kids liked Barbie or why kids liked uh, Masters of the Universe, it is because they're things that they did. They picked up the dolls. They, you know, made them interact with one another. They made, they created their own stories. They sometimes, with Barbies, cut their hair, expecting it to grow back, you know. But Mm -hmm. it it was all interactive. It was all immersive. And with these kinds of brands, with the Mattel Adventure brands, it only makes sense. If you're going to take something that we all remember as something cool to play with, we might as well give people a whole new way to play with it. And that's exactly what this is. So I think this is going to be very successful. It's it's on the right track based on all the other trends that we're seeing. So kudos. It sounds like fun. Okay, I think we're we're at time. Well, that's it for this this week's uh, green tagged at Theme Park in Thirty. I'm Philip from the Hard Network in Gantham Lighting, and that's Scott from Scott Swenson Creative Development. And we'll see you back here next week. Okay, that's it for today. 
We'll catch you back here tomorrow for our weekly roundup of Haunt News. Today's episode was produced and edited by me, Philip Hernandez, with post-production by David Swope. Support for this episode comes from Gantam Lighting and Controls. See what you're missing with a free demo. Sign up at gantam.com demo. We release a free weekly industry newsletter. Sign up on our website or at the link in our show notes. The Haunted Attraction Network team includes Daryl Plunkey, Emily Louise Rua, Megan Spells, Gavin Burns, and Maximus Bryant. Our partner stations include A Scott in the Dark, Scare Track, The Scare Factor, and Haunt Topic Radio. Finally, please, please, please rate and subscribe to our show wherever you're listening. And until next time, Haunters, stay scary. This is a Haunted Attraction Network production. <laughs>